Okay, so we're in a series today called Discover Yourself, and of course the DISC is an acronym for DISC, it's a personality profile that we've been studying for the past few weeks, and we're not going to do a lot of DISC today, uh, we're going to come back to that in part four, uh, which in part four I'm going to talk to you about how to relate to people based on their personality, how to influence your spouse, how to influence your children, people at work based on their personality. I hope you've been learning and enjoying, how many of y'all have been at the, both the past two services, the past two Sundays? Okay, if you didn't raise your hand, we will forgive you if you watch online. And so um, it's really exciting to learn about different personalities. And you know, when you, when you learn this, every time you read a book or watch a movie or watch a TV show, you will easily see the, the high gifts, the high personality traits that the writer has given those characters. It's amazing if you, if you watch, you'll never watch a movie the same. And usually the way a good movie works is the hero of the movie, you know, you see all their weaknesses of their personality and at the end of the movie, they become strong in the areas they were weak and that's how they, they win. And I just, I don't know why, of all of movies I've seen, I've seen thousands of movies. I thought of the example of Mrs. Doubtfire, which I think is a movie everybody's seen with Robin Williams. You know, he's the high eye personality. He's all over the place. Uh, he, he, he's, he's, you know, it's hard for him to stay in one place, it's hard for him to focus and be stable. He's always doing whatever's exciting and his wife just can't stand that. And so she, they separate from each other. And so the high eye is a great actor, great actress. And so he turns himself into Mrs. Doubtfire and he becomes stable and he becomes solid and faithful and you can count on him and his priorities get in order. And at the end of the movie, of course, he wins everybody back because in his weakness, um, he was strong. And it's just like last week with Moses, like I told you, where God called Moses to speak, he said, I can't speak. God said, I'll be with you in your weakness. And of course, the hero of the story, Moses, he speaks to Pharaoh and does what God calls him to do. So it's really, really exciting if you, if you, if you, when you learn the different personality gifts, how it comes out. Even when you read the Bible, uh, Moses was a high C, very detailed, very calculating, complex. And the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Arm, they're the most detailed books of the entire Bible. And they were written by a high C. Of course they were. Even when God spoke through the, the men who, who penned the scriptures, he spoke through their personality. Paul, the high D, when you read the New Testament and things Paul wrote, he says, fight the good fight. Fight. He says, find your purpose. Accomplish. Do it now. Don't waste time. Be determined. It's the high D personality. So before we get started in our sermon today, I want to play a game with you. Everybody likes games, right? Everybody likes games, right? Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call out a bunch of famous people, and then at the end of my list, you're going to yell to me what personality gift they have of the DISC, okay? So I hope you've been paying attention the past two weeks, okay? Here's our first set of people. Florence Nightingale, Albert Schweitzer, Mr. Rogers, you know, it's a beautiful day. Okay, uh, Tonto, the Long Ranger's faithful sidekick, uh, Barbara Bush, and Clark Kent, who is also Superman, if you don't know that. What personality gift is this? Yes. S. They're faithful. Listen, you know, with all Superman's strengths, if you watch or read any comic book or watch any movie, he's so slow to process everything. You're thinking, why didn't you use your laser vision? You know, why didn't you? And he's like, oh, and he walks into some kryptonite. Oh, poor me. He'll do anything for peace. He doesn't want to show off. He's happy in the background. Those are high S's. Okay, next set. Here we go. Um, Johann Sebastian Bach, President John Quincy Adams, President James Madison, Gerald Ford, Data from Star Trek, if you're a Star Trek fan, Bob Newhart, Henry Kissinger, and Batman. These are high C's. They're high C's. Calculating, complex, they're fine, working all by themselves. Batman didn't even want Robin around. You know, <laughs> Robin wanted to hang out with Batman. 
Okay, next set. Here we go. Barb, are y'all having fun in my game? Okay, you better. I, I'll do this all day long if I have to. Barbara Walters, Henry Ford, Charles Lindbergh, Lucky Lindbergh, uh, General Patton, John Wayne, Vince Lombardi, President Andrew Jackson, President Bush Sr. Senior and junior have completely different personalities, okay? If you know that. Richard Nixon, these are high D's. How many of you missed that one? That was the easiest part of the game. They get things done, they produce, they don't care what gets in their way, they have to accomplish it. And finally, Carol Burnett, Steve Martin, President Bill Clinton, Sally, ooh, just saying the last name Clinton always causes a reaction in the service. Uh, Sally Field, George Lopez, and Leonardo DiCaprio, these are high. Eyes, very good. They're great on a stage. They're sporadic. They're spontaneous. You never know what they're going to do. How many of y'all are high eyes in here? Y'all make the world fun. Y'all make the world fun. You really do. You also get angry, but that's okay. We understand. So um, I heard this story. I don't know if it's fictitious or not, okay? It might be real, but I heard a story about Bill Clinton and Hillary whenever he was president. And um, they were on this, this float uh, in a parade, you know, going down Main Street. They're waving at everybody. And all of a sudden in the crowd, Bill sees Hillary's um, ex-boyfriend from back in college. And he points him out. He says, Hillary, that's your, that's your ex-boyfriend over there. What's he up to these days? And Hillary said, oh, he runs a gas station here in town. And Bill Clinton kind of laughed. He said, oh, aren't you glad you didn't marry him or you'd be working at a gas station? And Hillary snickered back. She says, if I'd married him, he would be the president. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I worked hard on that. Okay, today in part three, I want to talk to you about this. Be you, be you. Before you can learn to relate to anybody based on their gifts, before you can raise your children based on their gifts, before you can run the office based on the gifts around you, you have to be the person God made you to be. You have to be you. There's no better version of you than you. An old Jewish rabbi who's passed away, his name was Zuska. And on Zuska's deathbed, his followers gathered around him and they said, Zuska, what is God going to ask you when you get to heaven? And on his deathbed, he sat up and he said, I'll tell you what God is not going to ask me. God is not going to ask me, why were you not more like Abraham? He's not going to ask me, why weren't you more like Isaac? He won't even ask me, why were you not more like Jesus? He will ask me, why were you not Zuska? Why were you not 100% totally and completely you? And throughout life, I've been talking to you about how easy it is for other people to manipulate our personality. The truth is, we manipulate ourselves. We will change ourselves just to receive affirmation from somebody we admire. You have a mentor in your life and you think they are incredible, they're so awesome, and so you want them to think the same thing about you, so you change to try to be like them. Or, or you get put in a job somewhere because you make more money at this particular job, even though it doesn't fit your soul, so you change who you are to be able to make more money. We do this all throughout life. We find somebody that we love and we want them to love us. We do this for our parents. And we waste time doing this because we're never going to fulfill our destiny being somebody we're not created to be. It causes insecurity in our life. It causes jealousy. It causes pride. It's not healthy. Um, the, 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 before I get into the, my main three points, there are two incredibly attractive traits that I want to teach you about today and how to get these two traits. In fact, they're the most attractive traits that any person can have. And that is equal humility and equal confidence. 
Every person you're attracted to in life, every movie star, every book you read, and the hero, the things that you are attracted to about these people, the, pe the people, the person you love, the person you're married to, the attraction is not really on what they look like. And I agree, you know, that, that starts, oh, they look this way, and so you kind of go toward them. But the thing that you attracts you the most about every single person is their level of equal humility and confidence. That is the most, two, it's not even their personality, it is their humility and confidence in their personality. Now, if you're too humble and you don't have confidence, you'll come across insecure. If you're too confident without humility, you'll come across prideful and arrogant. It has to be equal humility and equal confidence. And here's how you get that. I've given you a list in part one in our DISC personality profile test with a 400 strengths for you to choose and 400 weaknesses for you to mark. The way you stay equal, confident, and humility is this. You always remember your, weak, your weaknesses and you always keep in mind your strengths. But when you think about your strengths, you think about this. Thank you, Jesus. This is who I am with you in my life. And you constantly have to be reminded as well of your weaknesses so you can say, Jesus, I need you in my life in this area. Recognizing your weaknesses and how much you need Jesus with those weaknesses keeps you humble. Recognizing your strengths and who you are through Christ is what gives you confidence. You're, are you with me? I, I, I taught this to a secular group years ago at some school or something. And there was a couple, a husband and wife that were part of it. And they were Christians. They went to church. They served God. And they did, did the test. And they came back with their test. And they're turning it in. And I'm going over it with everybody. And they marked like every single strength on the whole DISC test. And not one single weakness did they mark. Not one. I kid you not. And I thought it was a joke. So I laughed. I said, well, where's your real paper of you? They said, we, look, we read through those weaknesses. We cannot find one single weakness that resonates with us. I said, yeah, I listed 400. You can't even think of one. You can't do it. And they said, no, we just, we just don't see that in our life. And so I said this to them. Why do you even need Jesus? Why do you go to church? Why are you a Christian? Why are you saved? If you have no weaknesses and all you are is strong, why, what do you even talk to Jesus about? What is he in your life for? The reason we have weaknesses is so we will rely on Jesus every single day. He's not going to remove the weaknesses. He wants you to spend time with him. Just like Paul asked three times and Jesus said, no, my grace is sufficient. So, and, and there's this, this whole body of Christ teaching all around the world on, on TV preachers, and they're all about who we are in Christ, who we are in Christ, who you are in Christ, and that's great, but we equally have to understand who we are apart from Christ, or you won't go after him, you won't need him, you won't rely on him. It is equally important to know who you are in Christ and who you are apart from Christ, and that's what keeps you with equal confidence and equal humility. We good? Okay, so I'm going to give you three points today on how to stay equally confident and equal humble in your life. Point number one for your notes is this. Don't conform. Don't change for any person. If they're not going to love you like you are, strengths and weaknesses, find somebody else. Unless you're married, then go to marriage counseling. But if you're not married, find somebody else. They should love you for who you are. It, assuming you're a child of God and assuming you rely on Jesus for your weaknesses. Romans 12, 2, do not conform or don't change like the world does, fashioned after its external superficial customs. In other words, when you see people on Facebook and they're going on a vacation, you don't have to go on a vacation to, to, to be like them. When you see somebody that looks a certain way or they weigh something, you don't have to change who you are to be like them. It goes on to say, instead, fix your attention on God because God is the one that brings out the best in you. 
In other words, don't fix your attention on the world. Don't fix your attention on somebody you're trying to please. Fix your attention on God. He brings out the best. Um, a famous psychologist, Dr. Neil Warren, writes this. He said that we subconsciously put large amounts of mental and emotional energy studying the different people in our lives and then conforming to be who they want us to be. He says we study our spouse, we study our parents, our friends, our boss, and then we give them whatever they want from us. He said, if you decide to do that, calls are going to come in from every side. He said, your mother will call and she wants you to be more like an S. She wants you to be gentle. Then your father will call. He wants you to be more like a D. He wants you to be tough. Then your friends will call. They want you to be the high I, spontaneous, always wanting to have fun. Then your boss calls. He wants you to be the C. He wants you to sit by yourself and do your work and stay focused and look at every single detail. Neil Warren says that a lot of times in our 20s and 30s, we begin to do this or realize we're doing it. And at some point, he says, we will scream out in frustration, I just can't do it anymore. He says, if you have an unhealthy heart, this other voice pops up and says, well, just pretend. So he says, we put on masks and we're like actors and actresses and our whole life is a play and whatever scene we're in, we just do whatever they want us to do. We put on a mask for our friends. We put on a mask for our parents. We just act our whole life. And he says, we end up pleasing everyone else, but our own destiny gets put on hold. We become a stranger to ourselves. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, uh, David, the teenager, told Saul, the king, that God wanted him to go face Goliath. And in 1 Samuel 17, 38, it says this, Saul put his own clothes and his own armor on David. Now, I'm sure that made David feel so good. This is a man of great importance. I want to impress this man. I want him to like me. But it says David had to take it all off. Then with his sling in his hand, let me say this, with the little gift that God gave him, not the sword, not the machine gun, not karate, with the gift, and the Bible actually says there were 700 sharpshooters that could, that could sling a rock better than David. He had an average gift, ordinary. It wasn't even good as everybody else, but he took the gift that God gave him and he ran straight toward Goliath. You know, if there was any man in the world who David would want his affirmation and approval, it'd be King Saul, especially after his own father rejected him. You know what it's like when a parent disapproves of you or rejects you or they, they never gave you the love or the affirmation they should. It's like this next person of the same sex in your life, boss, mentor, someone, you want them to fill that gap for you. And I'm sure David was thinking, man, my brothers rejected me. My father rejected me. Here's a man that I admire more than anything. He's the king of Israel. I should probably leave his armor on. I should probably be who he wants me to be. But David knew the only way I'll fulfill my destiny, if, if my destiny is to defeat Goliath, the only way I'll defeat Goliath is to walk in my own anointing. The only way I'll accomplish what God wants me to accomplish is to be the person God made me to be. Here's my question. Are you wearing somebody else's armor today? God did not want a copy of King Saul. He didn't want a fax. He didn't want a duplicate. He didn't want a clone. God wanted an original. He wanted David to be who God made him to be. And David walked out there on that battlefield in his own anointing and he defeated Goliath with his own gift that God gave him. We have to be the people God made us to be. Um, if this is something you battle, it's called codependency. 
And if codependency is, is a sin, just so you know. And if you're doing this, it's not that person's fault. You think, well, they shouldn't be asking me of this. They shouldn't be manipulating. If you're allowing it to happen, it's your fault. Codependency is really when you're trying to please people more than you're trying to please God. Galatians 1.10 says, am I trying to please people or God? If my goal was popularity, I wouldn't have been a pastor. I wouldn't have been a servant of Christ. Um, years ago, maybe 10, 12 years ago, I, I just started preaching, just started a church. And um, a friend of mine from Ohio, a pastor with a huge church, very successful, he, he paid his own way to fly here to Myrtle Beach and to spend a week with me and just teach me leadership skills and you know teach me how to run a church and so forth. And he was so influential in my life and it meant so much to me. We had such a great time that week. He taught me so much. Um, he was really skilled in the area of leadership. And so I asked him to preach that Sunday in my little church. And uh, I was so excited. I thought, man, he's going to be great. Everyone's going to, you know, it's just going to be an awesome sermon. It's going to be great. And so he got up to preach. And while his leadership skills were really, really good, in my opinion, his speaking skills sucked eggs. And he started a sermon, and the whole sermon was monotone the entire time. He didn't raise his voice. There was no inflection in his voice. And he talked as slow as you could possibly talk for somebody here in the South. I was like, oh, my goodness. Then the way his sermon worked was he took one passage of Scripture, and he just taught the history, I guess, of that passage. There was no application. It was just teaching one passage, no extra Scriptures, no jokes, no funniness. There was no like personal thing he just talked. And I was so embarrassed. I thought, oh my goodness, I asked him to preach. I, I built him up like he was this great guy of a huge church and oh, he's horrible. And then I started thinking, wow, I feel really good about myself because I just started a church and I'm already better than this guy, you know. Well, as soon as church was over, my brother, my own flesh and blood, okay? I'm the oldest of three. My brother runs up to me he says, John Paul, this guy was amazing. Oh, did you hear how he just stayed at the same level the whole time he spoke? And he was so slow and I understood. And he took that one passage and he just talked about that for 30 minutes. Man, this guy's awesome. I thought, you know what? If that's what awesome is, I can do that. That's easy. So that week I wrote a sermon for next Sunday. It was on one passage of scripture. I stayed monotone the entire time that I talked and I spoke very, very slowly. As soon as the service was over, I went straight to the bathroom and I threw up all over the place. <laughs> it was the most horrible day of my life. There was zero anointing. It ruined the whole service and it was all because I was trying to be somebody that I wasn't called to be. For heaven's sakes, man. <laughs> Raise your voice a little bit when you're talking. But it was to listen, he was, we were just, it's two different paths. I wasn't called to be him. He definitely wasn't called to be me. Matthew 22, 39 says you have to love your neighbor the way you love yourself. You'll never be able to love anybody else until you can love yourself. Now I'll say this, if you're conforming, you don't love yourself. If you're trying to change who God made you to be, you do not love yourself. I heard about this, this 10 year old boy named Billy and, and Billy was very, very insecure. And so Billy um, had this friend um, named Charlie, and, and Billy really admired Charlie. And so Billy would dress like Charlie, and he'd kind of walk like Charlie and try to talk like Charlie. And he spent his, 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 his you know, fifth grade year copying Charlie. 
Well, the funny thing about Charlie was, Charlie didn't like who he was. Charlie was kind of insecure. He had this friend named Frankie. And Charlie thought Frankie was so cool the way he fixed his hair, the clothes. So, so Charlie would copy Frankie and walk like Frankie and talk like Frankie and dress like Frankie. So Billy was copying Charlie, who was copying Frankie. Well, it turns out Frankie didn't like who he was. Frankie was more impressed with his friend Joey. And so Frankie would play the same sports that Joey played, and he would eat the same food at lunchtime that Joey ordered. He'd dress like Joey and talk like Joey. So now Billy's copying Charlie, who's copying Frankie, who's copying Joey. Turns out Joey didn't like who he was. Joey was really insecure. He was more impressed with this 11-year-old boy named Larry. And so Joey would walk like Larry and talk like Larry and dress like Larry and hang out with Larry on the playground. And so now Billy's copying Charlie, who's copying Frankie, who's copying Joey, who's copying Larry. Would you believe Larry didn't like who he was? Larry was really insecure. He was actually more impressed with Billy. So Larry would walk like Billy and talk like Billy and eat what Billy ate and play the same sports as Billy. So now Billy's copying Charlie, who's copying Frankie, who's copying Joey, who's copying Larry, who's copying Billy, who's copying himself. <laughs> the people that you're trying to conform for, the people that you're trying to be like, they may not even be secure in who God made them to be. They may be trying to be something else for the world or for somebody else. That's why the best version of you is you don't conform point number two is this don't compete don't compete you're not in competition with anybody else's destiny galatians 5 26 do not be competitive envying and jealous of one another i don't have to make as much money as my brother makes for me to feel good about the job that god's given me my kids don't have to do what other parents kids are doing for me to be confident in the parent that god made me to be i'm not competing I'm not competing with any man on the cover of GQ magazine. In fact, I probably belong on the cover of DQ magazine, Dairy Queen. I'll take Dairy Queen over GQ. We're not in competition. We're not in competition. Um, in, 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 in John 1.19, John was having all this success baptizing people, all this recognition in life. And it says in John 1.19, some officials asked him, are you Christ? Now this was a, they, they thought he was the Messiah because he was getting so popular, doing great things. John spoke very clearly and said, no, I am not the Messiah. What I love about this is he knew who he was and he knew who he was not. And Jesus had a different destiny than John. But in, in reality, all of our destiny is just obey what God's telling us to do. That's our destiny. It may go down different paths than somebody else. One destiny may be more popular to people in the world. That's fine. That's their, their destiny. Yours is just as important. It may not be as popular with people, but it's just as important to the plan that God has for us. You have to know who you are and know who you are not. Um, and a lot of times our ego tells us that if we're better than somebody else, then we're more successful. But then when you start competing and you think, well, you know what, if they're better than me, well, I'm, I'm, I'm unsuccessful. The truth is you're not competing with them. I'll, I'll tell you all about a, a secret sin that I have it's really bad. It's really horrible. And I was going to actually tell you this a few weeks ago in my pornography sermon that I did on every man's battle. But I saved it for today. But it's a horrible sin. I've repented for it. I'm going to share it with you so that you realize you're not alone in some of these struggles. Because this is a safe place. And this is a judgment-free zone, right? right? It's a judgment-free zone, right? Yes. I'm not feeling very confident right now in sharing this with you. 
but I already started. So um, it's a horrible, horrible thing. And listen, don't write me any emails. Don't pray for me and say, you know, weird stuff. I know what I'm doing is wrong. I've repented and God's forgiven me. And la well, before the last time I did it, it was months before. So it used to be once every month, sometimes once every two or three months. Now it's like once every six months, okay? Actually, the before the last time, it was probably eight months, okay? And it's really horrible. It's really bad, and I repent to you. It's a horrible, horrible thing. But um, so sometimes late at night, sometimes, you know, when everybody's asleep and I'm working on my laptop and doing my sermons and so forth, this is so bad. Um, sometimes <clears throat> I, will <clears throat> I will look up on the internet um, other local pastors' sermons and see if they have more um, views on Facebook than mine does. And if they, um, if they do have more views, it gets worse, if they do have more views than mine does on Facebook, I will watch their sermon and criticize it the whole time. <laughs> it took you 45 minutes to get to this point. Your intro was horrible, and I can't believe you didn't have enough scripture. It was wrong. You know, all that. And, and I, I realize it's wrong. I repent, and I ask God to forgive me. And if you really want to help me in this area, you can like and share my sermons on Facebook. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's horrible. I feel so bad when I do it. I feel so horrible. You have no idea. I'm all condemned and everything. I can't sleep. It's like once every six months now, but it's horrible. But here's what I want to tell you. Success is not in how many people like you. Success is not in how much money you have in the bank. Success is not in what everybody thinks about you. Success is this, obeying God's plan for my life. That's success. In fact, let me, let me ask you a question, and I'm very curious what your response will be. You know Noah in the Bible? Noah in the Bible, right? The ark and the stuff we teach the kids back there, right? Okay, in your opinion, was Noah successful, yes or no? Yes. It, Hebrews 11 says he was. Noah's a great. In fact, the Bible describes Noah in 2 Peter 2.5 as a righteous preacher. I've never read that about anyone in the entire Bible but Noah. That means that he preached exactly what God told him to exactly he preached and did he he did right he God said you tell him there's gonna be a flood get on the ark it's gonna rain he preached exactly what God told him to now listen out of the million or so people that were on the earth at the time there were no church there was only one church one church out of all those people and it was Noah's church he preached exactly what God wanted and he only had seven converts in fact those people were his family they kind of had to get on the boat. If he were here today, he'd have no views on Facebook. He'd have nobody in his church except for his family. He would probably have no building. He'd probably be preaching on a boat somewhere. <laughs> but he was a righteous preacher. He did exactly. So was he successful? Yes. Did the world see him as a success? No. That's why success cannot be based on what everybody else thinks about you. Success is based on you doing exactly what God has called you to do finances, family, the way you raise your kids, you're not in competition with anybody else. Um, the Darlington race, you know, down about an hour and a half away, they had a race last Saturday. One of my sons from, from college went there, and, and when I was a little kid, my papa used to take me to the Darlington race. It's just super, super loud. But it's really, really cool because all the cars there are incredibly fast. They're, the way they're built, they're very low to the ground. They're extremely aerodynamic. Every car on the Darlington Racetrack, they're, they, they can get up to 180, 200 miles an hour. Huge engines. I mean, as loud as can be. But in spite of all those strengths that that car has, it also has some weaknesses. Do you know that you can only seat one person in one of those cars? You know there's no air conditioning? 
Not on a single one of them. No air conditioning, no CD player, no radio, no luxury at all. Here's the reason why. It's built for one particular race. It's built for speed. That is the race that was called to be in, a fast for speed. Now, I personally, I drive a pickup truck. And it's very convenient. I can load things in the back of it and, and move, help people move. I can, I can fit five people in my truck. It sits up real high and comfortable. It's got a, a radio CD player. It's got a sunroof. It's got air conditioning. Now, um, if I wanted to be a part of the Darlington race in my truck, I would lose. I'd get lapped over and over and over. And you know why? Because I would be entering my truck in a race that it was not designed to be in. I'd be, I'd, be, I'd be putting myself in a position, in a place I was never supposed to be. And, and there's a reason I would lose, too, is because my truck, it starts shaking when you get up like 125 miles an hour. It starts to shake a little bit. At least that's what the, the manual said happens. We have policemen in our service, and I can't look at him right now while I'm talking. Hebrews 12, 11 says... Lay aside every unnecessary weight and run the appointed race. I'm going to come over here and talk to this side. Run the appointed race that is set before us. You know, I, I, if I wanted to, I could trade my truck in and I could get one of those race cars. And if I did, you know, people would cheer for me and they'd wave at me going down the road. I'd be very popular. You know, people would, people would see me down there on the street. They'd honk their horn and all. But here's the problem. I wouldn't be able to pick up my kids from school. I wouldn't be able to do what God called me to do because I'd be something I was never supposed to be. Don't compete. Point number three is this. Last point. Don't compare. Don't compare. Uh, Romans 12, 6. God's given us different gifts. So let us be what we were made to be without comparing ourselves to each other or trying to be something we are not. Whenever you compare, if you, if you, if you feel in your mind, oh, I'm better than them, well, that's pride. And then when you compare and you think, well, they're better than me, that's insecurity. That's why you don't compare. Don't compare your body to somebody else's body. They have different genetics. They've been through different things. You know, you had kids and she hadn't had kids. Don't compare your body. Don't compare your amount of money in the bank. Don't compare your house. Don't, you should be so grateful that God's even given you a destiny. Don't compare it to somebody else's. You'll never fulfill your destiny that way. You know, after David uh, defeated Goliath, King Saul thought that was amazing. Even though he wasn't wearing Saul's armor, Saul brought David in to live at the palace. He treated him like a son. He became his mentor. They were the best of friends. 1 Samuel 18, 5 says, Saul put David in charge of his own military. David was successful everywhere that Saul sent him. How exciting is that? For your mentor to bring you in and now you're doing all the things he trained you to do, but something happened one day that forever changed the course of Saul's destiny. He heard some ladies singing a song. And in verse 7, the women sang, Saul has killed thousands, but David has killed tens of thousands. At that moment, something happened to Saul's heart. He thought, whoa, 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 this can't be right. I don't want to be less than David. I don't want to be a thousand man killer. I want to be a 10,000 man killer. He started getting insecure. His insecurities rose up and he thought, I want David's destiny. I'm not happy with my destiny. I want that house. I want my kids to go to that college. I want that person's body. I want that person's job. It's not fair. If Saul would just realize your destiny is just as important as David's, it's just a different race. 
You're not competing with each other. You should be celebrating your friend. You should be excited for him. In verse 9, Saul became jealous of David from that day on. Instead of appreciating what God had given him, instead of being confident in his own personality, in his own uh, destiny, in the calling that God had on his life, if he had just been confident in who he was, he could have celebrated his friend David. There will always be someone who's stronger than me in some area. There's always going to be someone who's got a better body. There's always going to be some father whose kids are going to a better college. There's always going to be some husband out there that's better than me. That's what I'm going to be. There's always going to be a pastor that's more popular than I am. Not as good looking, but but more popular than I am. There's always going to be somebody out there. That's why you don't compare. Man, if Saul had just recognized that him and David had a different race, oh, how, how the, the course of their lives would have changed. Acts 13, 36 says when David was alive, he did what God wanted him to do. Whether he was a 10,000 point man, a 20,000 point man, you know, if there's somebody out there better than David, that's okay. David was confident in who God made him to be. If you can't celebrate somebody that's ahead of you, you'll never fulfill your own destiny. Don't compare yourself. Celebrate yourself. I'll close with a, um, a poem that I read years ago. It's always stuck with me. It says, uh, when you get what you want in your struggle for self and the world makes you king for a day, just go to the mirror and look at yourself and see what that man has to say. For it isn't your father or mother or wife upon whose judgment you must pass. The person whose verdict counts most in your life is the man staring back at the glass. He's the fellow to please, never mind all the rest, for he's with you clear up to the end. And you've passed your most dangerous and difficult test if the man in the glass is your friend. For you can fool the whole world down the pathway of life and get pats on the back as you pass. But your final reward will be heartache and tears if you cheated the man in the glass. Don't cheat the man in the glass. Don't compete, don't compare, and don't conform. Be you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay.